Well, hey, it's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, lots of ground to cover. Lots of things I want us to get to this morning, so let's just dive right in. You have a Bible with you, open it up or turn it on and go to the Gospel of John chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 19 today. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. And uh, let me say this too, if you're here this morning and you don't have a copy of the Bible We'd love to give you one. So on your way out today, if you'll just go by the information table out in the lobby, you'll see a couple stacks of them there. They're free to you. Just pick up one and take it with you. And, uh, and also, if you're a first-time guest with us, be sure you pick up a copy of our book, Unshakable, Standing Strong When Things Go Wrong, and that's free to you as well. And let me, let me just say before we dig in, they're, they're working on the air. Um, I know I can see some of you back, you're shivering and... Uh, just to let you know, Donnie and Jason, uh, they're working on that back there right now. You, you know, um, as, as we uh, are in this series in the Gospel of John, I feel like maybe there are some, some things that you ought to know about the Gospels. Um, one of the, one of the uh, things that I think pastors, pastors like me, Preachers, teachers, uh, one of the things that we struggle with is that we're always trying to get people to apply the Bible to their lives when they don't always understand it. Or we're, we're trying to um, get people to just do what the Bible says when they, they might not understand it or, or they might not even believe it. And uh, I think there are some basic things that you ought to know about the Bible. And since we're in the, the Gospels, the Gospel of John in particular, I think there are some things that you ought to know about the Gospel that if you don't know these, I'm not sure that y- you get it. Um, how many of you know what Gospel means? If you, it, means it means good news. And the word comes from a couple of old English words Um, God's spell, God's spell, it became gospel. It's good news, and it's meant to be good news in a world where there's not a whole lot of good news, and there, there wasn't a whole lot of good news going on in the first century when Jesus was born into this world, just like I, I think you could make that argument today, that in, in a world where so much of the news seems to be bad, Thank God for some God spell, some gospel, some good news. So have you ever wondered why there are four gospels? Why four gospels? And what, what, what are they about? Well, okay, now listen, because I think this is important. You have four gospels that are written to four completely different groups of people. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. And after Jesus went back into heaven, you remember that uh, Jesus said, now you will be my witnesses, all authority 
and heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into the whole world preaching the gospel and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so for Matthew, that meant that he became an evangelist to Jewish people. So when you read his gospel, when you open it up, the first thing you find is a genealogy. A family tree, and it's full of names that most of us never even heard of before, and they're hard to read, and why would you even start with something that's so boring? In fact, I'll tell you that a lot of people who read the Bible, maybe for the first time, they just sort of skip over that part like it's not important, but it is important. It's important when you know that uh, Matthew was writing his gospel to Jewish people, and for them to accept that Jesus was the Messiah... You had to show that he was the fulfillment of prophecy. You had to show that he was the son of David and son of Abraham. And so if you couldn't prove those things, then there's no point in telling them about Jesus multiplying loaves and fishes. There's no point in even talking to them about him calming the seas or raising the dead or any of that. Because if you couldn't prove that Jesus, through his lineage, through his heritage, was the the promised Messiah from God, born through Abraham's family line, well, then you're just wasting your time. And so that's, that's why Matthew is constantly saying Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy and he gives those prophetic quotes because, again, he's talking to people who are Jewish and they needed to know that Jesus was not only Jewish, but he was the fulfillment of those prophecies. Does that make sense? Mark, on the other hand, he doesn't deal with any of those things. Well, he, he does a little bit, but, but not, not too much. Why wouldn't he? Because the gospel of Mark is a collection of Peter's sermons. John Mark was really the guy's name. And he would follow Peter and help him. He was like an assistant or an aide to him. And so he would just write down all of Peter's sermons. And if you remember from other readings or studies in in the gospel, Peter took the gospel to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, people who were non-Jewish. So the reason he, he doesn't fill his gospel full of Old Testament prophetic passages is because those Greeks, those Gentiles, those Roman people, they didn't have a background for that anyway. It, it didn't matter to them. They, they just wanted to know who Jesus was. Then when you get to the gospel of Luke, it's a, a little bit different in that he addresses his gospel to a man named Theophilus, who was probably himself a, uh, a Roman leader. That's sort of what the tradition is, that he was a Roman leader. And he has either become a Christian or Luke is trying to help him to receive Jesus. And he says to Theophilus, I have set out to write an orderly account of everything that Jesus said and everything that he did. Luke was a doctor, and so you can sort of see how the gospel of Luke is framed and outlined like maybe a a doctor would do. It's very, very technical. 
And he includes some things in his gospels that we don't have in the other gospels. For, for example, Luke gives us what we would call the, the classic Christian Christmas text, right? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And, and then, then he, he tells about uh, the birth of Jesus. He, he tells us about the prophecy of Jesus. How, how does he know all of those things? Well, he said he set out to write an orderly account, and he did all the interviews. He, he interviewed people like Mary. That's why he includes things like Mary's song in his gospel. He gives all sorts of evidence, and he's writing his gospel for the skeptic. Does all the research, gets it all written down, puts it in a gospel. John is altogether different. John is not trying to give a chronological story. He's not just trying to give a a biography of the life of Jesus. When he wrote his gospel, it was 55, maybe even 60 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, So you've got decades of people who have become Christians. And listen, during that time, you have, I don't, what's a nice way of saying it? You have some crazy ideas, and that might not sound nice, but it's a nice thing I can think of at nine in the morning. Uh, You have crazy ideas that begin to seep into the church, and John recognizes some of these things. And so he writes a gospel to disprove some things or to overrule some things, and then to give explanation about other things. And listen, Listen, this, because this is for all of us right here, because we're in the Gospel of John, he wrote his Gospel to say, Jesus is God. That's why when he begins his Gospel, the very first verse in the very first chapter says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When God created everything in Genesis, He spoke it into existence. That spoken word now is in flesh in Jesus and dwelling or tenting amongst us. Have you ever ever spoken to, um, you ever spoken to someone who didn't speak your language? You didn't speak their language? I'm not just talking about like a generational thing, uh, you know, like, um, you know, every, every culture has their phrases like jive turkey and stuff like that. And if you're laughing, you, you grew up in the 70s. Um, I, I'm not just talking about, man, I just don't get these kids. I mean like a foreign language, you know, like I've, I've been... Other places in the world, you know, outside of the United States, and I've 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 seen others do this, and I'll be honest with you, I've been guilty of doing it myself. When when you're speaking to someone, and let, let's just say they're they're French, you, you speak English, they speak French, and okay, I'll just tell them myself. I was in the airport once, flying through Rome, and. There was, uh, 
we could, we could not figure out a couple of the signs, and we felt pretty sure that one of them was going to get us to where we needed to go. And so I, I asked this, uh, this gentleman who was nearby, and he had kind of a friendly way about him. He was standing kind of under the sign, like he might be the information guy. And uh, I, I spoke to him. I said, English? He just shook his head. Um, English? Mm-mm. And I said, we're trying to get to gate B. Gate B. B. You know, it, it's like if you slow it down and say it louder and draw it out a little bit more, then a person who doesn't understand English will understand it. You know, we are trying to get to gate B. We're late. Can you help us? Yeah. All through the Old Testament, all the way up to the Gospels in the New Testament, God had been showing himself to human beings a little at a time over time. And when we, when we get to the Gospels, it's almost like God has been speaking to us, and some people can understand it, but some, some people can't. So God begins to speak our language. It's as though he says in Jesus, everything I've been trying to say about me, I'm saying it through my son Jesus. If you want to know how I feel about something, then just look at the life of Jesus. If you want to know what I think about a situation in your life, then just look at the, at the life of Jesus. It's like God... When he stepped into human flesh, began to speak our language so we could understand him. I love Christmas. I can't wait for Christmas. Already looking forward to Christmas. I know that some of you, it makes you want to go throw up, but I, I love, I love Christmas. One of my favorite Christmas movies is um, uh, Miracle on 34th Street. You see, I, I like the classic one, but I have to say I like the new one better. Um, that doesn't always happen, but but I do. And there's a there's a scene where uh, you know Santa Claus is um, uh, you know greeting the kids, and they're coming up, sitting on his lap, telling him what they want for Christmas. And uh, while Santa is sitting there, um, a, a mom brings her little girl up, just as pretty as she can be, a little blonde girl. She sits on Santa's lap. She's just smiling at him. And so he says, honey, what would you like for Christmas? And the mother was kind of, you know, right there nearby. And she, she bent over, uh, you know, so she could get in the shot. And she said, um, oh, she, she can't hear. She, she can't speak. She's deaf. But she loves Santa Claus. She, lo- she loves you, Santa, and she just wants to sit on your lap. And he begins to sign to her. And she signs back. And so they have a little conversation right there. 
And then they sing jingle bells together and just blew everybody away. But, but it shouldn't have because he was the real Santa Claus. So he can communicate with all kids, whether they speak French or English or Spanish or if they sign. He was speaking her language through Jesus, God is speaking our language. He's not talking French to us. He's not talking English to us or Spanish or Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew. He's speaking human to us so that we can understand him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the first 18 verses of John chapter 1, pe- people, people aren't really, they aren't really getting Jesus. Some are, but, but many are not. And there's, there's different reasons for that. But in, in this first chapter, John just gives us a real setup of everything else that is to come in the gospel. And just keep this in mind, as we read through these few verses this morning, I think uh, verse 19, maybe through 34, if we can get that far. Just remember what John is trying to say. Jesus is God. And, and he tells us why he has written this gospel. You guys remember? In John 20, verse 31, he says, these things have been written down that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah of God the chosen one, and that by believing, you might have life in him. So with all of that in mind, let's jump into verse 19. Everybody still awake? All right, here we go. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony. You have to remember in these first couple of chapters that we've, we've got a couple of Johns going on here. We've got the Apostle John who has written this gospel, but then we have John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. That's who this John is. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. So what's going on here? Well, what's, what's happening is that John the Baptist came on the scene preaching. Now, he was from a, a group of people called the Essenes. Say Essenes. Essenes. Say it again. Essenes. They were a baptizing people. Uh, that lived out in the, in the Dead Sea. And over the next couple of weeks, maybe we'll say a little bit more about them. But some, somewhere out in the, the Dead Sea desert, John learned how to preach. And he was an old school preacher. How, how many of you know some old school preachers? I mean, like hellfire and brimstone, this is what's up. This is just the way it is. You know, every now and again, I'll hear somebody say, uh, I just, I'm just tired of that hellfire and brimstone preaching. Well, I'd like to know where those guys are today. I don't hear a whole lot of hellfire and brimstone preaching. I don't hear a whole lot of guys just laying it out and saying, this is what's up. I think we need more of those, quite honestly. 
So, so somewhere along the way, John has learned how to, to preach. And I, I would also say he's full of the Spirit of God. And he is preaching in such a way that people are just coming out in huge numbers to hear him. In fact, Mark says in his gospel that when, when John came out preaching, that all the countryside of Judea and everyone in Jerusalem came out to hear John preach. They came out for his message. And, and, and listen, not only could he preach, but he was a sight to behold. He, he didn't dress like the other religious leaders dressed. He was um, a little wild in his dress. He, he ate wild, um, uh, wild honey, like a date honey, which is the best honey you've ever had in your life, uh, and, and locust, big grasshoppers. He's very unconventional. And so he, he is almost like a spectacle, but he's preaching truth and people are coming to hear him and they're just, they're just really digging it. So, so there, there was a group of Pharisees and these are the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, and they heard about John preaching and they've got some problems with this. So they send some priests who were in charge of the temple and Levites who were assistants out to question John. And obviously the question they have on their mind is, are you the Messiah? Because the, these guys knew that, that God was sending a Messiah. That the, he, they knew that God was going to send the chosen one, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, so they're sort of looking for him to come. And this, this John guy who is out preaching in the Galilean uh, countryside, boy, he, he looks like a good candidate. Is he the Messiah? So they asked John, are you the Messiah? And he just says straight up, I am not the Messiah. So they push a little harder. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah he said, I am not. Um, part of the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah is that Elijah, the prophet, I, I think arguably the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, the prophecy was that he would come to prepare the children of God for the coming of the Messiah. So, so they, were, they were looking for Elijah to come back from the dead, come back from heaven, just to appear. And when he came on the scene, that would be the signal that the Messiah is coming up next. In fact, today, Jewish people who truly observe the Passover, they save an empty seat at their table, and they keep the door open just in case Elijah comes in because they're still waiting for the Messiah. As a people group, the Jewish people have not all accepted that Jesus is the Messiah. So, so are you Elijah? No, I, I'm not. Are you a prophet then, they asked. No, but he sure looked like one. He sure sounded like one. Now, now, now remember, there's 400 
to 500 years between the Old Testament and New Testament. So these people, they, they, had, they had never seen a prophet like Elijah. But John, when he comes out preaching, he, he looks like what the, the, um, the Old Testament prophets would have looked like. He sounded like them. And so they're asking, are, are you a prophet? No. Finally, they said, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back with us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. So here, here's what they're, what they're asking. If you're not the Messiah and you're not Elijah, and you're not a prophet, who do you think you are out here preaching this message and baptizing Jewish people? These religious leaders... They thought that the laws that they had added to their faith were just as important, if not more important, than what God had to say. These, these men were, a, they were now a part of the merchant class. They had status. They had money. They had power. And they wanted to keep it. And so anyone who seemed to be a threat to the gig they had going, they looked for a way to discredit it. And what they're trying to do here is to, to preserve their place. So, so by whose authority are you out here preaching? We didn't send you. You're, you're not one of us. And since you're, you're not one of us, how, how, can you be, how can you even be out here preaching? Verse 24, now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why, why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Do you know what baptism is about? Baptism is a symbol of our salvation. It's an important one. I don't mean to say that it's a symbol uh, in some way dilutes what, what it means because it's very, it's very important. Baptism does not save a person, but through our baptism, we make a confession that we're sinners. And, and the dipping, which is what baptism means, the dipping or plunging under the water and coming back up again signifies that we have been forgiven of our sins, that our sins have been washed away. And it's, it's the way that in the Gospels 
and in the early church in particular, it's the way they identified themselves as followers of Jesus. And Jewish people didn't believe they needed to be baptized. They thought that just because they were born Jewish and a part of God's chosen people, that all of them were chosen. They didn't look at themselves as sinners. They looked at you and me as sinners. It's the Gentiles who need to confess their sins. It's Gentiles who have to be baptized so that they can become converts to Judaism. So why are you out here baptizing Jews, non-sinners? In other gospels, John just hits them and calls them things like a brood of vipers, and which is like calling them a bunch of snakes. Well, it's not like that. It It is that exactly. And instead of John attacking them, he he says to them here, I've come to get the people ready for Jesus. I'm the voice of the one in the wilderness the spiritual wilderness, not just a desert place, but, but the spiritual wilderness. Just, just like we live in a spiritual wilderness today. He says, I'm the voice that's calling out to prepare people for the Messiah, to prepare people for Jesus. Listen, to call them to attention, to wake them up, to let them know that the Messiah is coming, to get ready, to be on the watch. He says, if you think I'm something, if you think my preaching is something, if you think my baptism is something, well, I'm nothing. I'm not even worthy to be a slave who puts on and takes off, ties and unties the sandals that this man wears. I'm nothing, but he is Everything. John says that all of this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's older than me chronologically, but even beyond that, this man is God. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. We may only have time for just these verses, but I want to make sure that you get this. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Jerusalem, in the morning and in the evening, they sacrificed a lamb. And then each year at Passover, 
a family would bring a lamb that they had been raising several months, if not close to a year. They would, they would take their personal animal to the, uh, the temple and that lamb would be offered and sacrificed up for the forgiveness of that individual family. So in the morning, they sacrificed the lamb. That was for the sins of the people. It was, the, it was a covering over their sins. They would then sacrifice again in the evening, which was an offering for all of the people for the forgiveness of their sins for that day. But then again, annually, each family had to bring an animal to offer it up as a sacrifice for the individual families. Now, the blood of that lamb, and why does blood even have to be spilled? It was a reminder to those people every day, morning and night, and then to each of those individual families that our sins cost something. Their sins were costing that animal their life because God doesn't just give a wink and a nod to our sins. He takes our sin seriously. It's our sin that separates us and keeps us from God. And the Jewish people were looking forward to when Messiah would come, the chosen one of God. Who would be the last lamb of God? See, the the blood of a lamb only covers up our sins. It's a covering over it. But the Messiah would take away those sins. There would only need to be one more sacrifice, and that was the lamb of God. And when John says, behold... And I'm sure he said it in that preacher, stained glass voice, a booming voice. Behold, and I don't have one of those, by the way. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look, there he is. There's the Messiah. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of who? The world. That's a head scratcher for these people. They were expecting the Messiah to come to die for them. And now John is saying he takes away the sins of the world. You know what that means? That means that now through Jesus, anyone, everyone can find forgiveness of their sins. Through Messiah, we can all be connected with God in a personal relationship. Just a minute, we're gonna we're gonna sing a song together right after I pray. The song is called "Because He Lives." It's an old classic song. It's a it's a hymn. If you grew up in a Baptist church or a Methodist church or a free will type church, probably any kind of evangelical church, you grew up singing this song. Because He lives, that means because the Lamb of God. The Messiah, the chosen one, died but came back to life. The one who takes away the sins of the world is alive. And because he's alive, we can live. Do you have life? 
Do you have eternal life? Because if you don't, you can have it right now in this moment. By confessing your sins. By asking Jesus for forgiveness. And asking him to come and live in your heart and in your life. It could be your song. Because he lives, I can live. Because he's alive, I'm alive. No matter what I face, no matter what I deal with, no matter what I endure, I have life because of him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for every day. Thank you for an opportunity to gather up like this, to worship, to open up your word and to read it and try to understand what it, what it says and what it means for our lives. And Lord, we're grateful today for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, I love that, that phrase, the world, because that, that phrase, that opens up your salvation and your forgiveness to all of us. It, it's a reminder that you didn't just come for wealthy people or for poor people. You didn't come just for white people or for black people or brown people or, or only Jewish people. You, you came into this world to live amongst us so that we could understand through Jesus what you're saying to us. And that through him, the message is that we can be forgiven of our sins and we can have eternal life. Like John says, these things are written that you might believe. And through him, through Jesus, through the Messiah, you might have life. Lord, I pray for the person who's sitting here this morning and they don't have that hope of eternal life. They've never put their faith and their trust in you. Maybe they've never confessed their sins. So Lord, would they take this opportunity right now to say to you in the spirit of prayer, and if this is you, you pray with me. Just say, Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I ask you for forgiveness. And Jesus, in the best way I know how, I ask you to come into my heart and my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Now fill me with your spirit. Give me the strength and courage that I need to follow you now for the rest of my life. And now just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me and saving me. It's in your great name that we pray. And those who agreed said, amen.
Listen, if you made the decision today to follow Jesus, if you asked him to forgive you of your sins, if you invited him into your heart and your life, we just take the connection card that Donnie talked about at the beginning of the service and then just somewhere on that card on the front or the back, just write a B on it. That B means that today you're believing in Jesus. And then on your way out today, uh, we'll have ushers at all of the exits Just drop the connection card and the offering baskets and this week we'll get in touch with you and help you take some important new steps and what it means to be a believer. Now let's stand together. We're going to close with this great song, Because He Lives. And uh, when it's the right time, guys, you just dismiss us. All right. And sing like crazy. This is an awesome song, isn't it? Amen. Gosh, you guys are you're frozen stiff, aren't you? I get it, man. I, I get it. I'm cold, too, and I've been running back and forth on this stage. I love you guys. Listen, I'm going to be on vacation for, um, for a couple of weeks. And uh, Karen and I, you know, annually we've been traveling with some friends who, um, he's a pastor. We've been great friends since college. And... Uh, I don't know why, but he takes us on these crazy trips with them, and uh, we're we're going to be we're going to be on vacation. But I, I want to encourage you. You know, some some pastors, me included, we're afraid to tell you when we're going on vacation because we're afraid you won't come. But I want to I want to ask you to be here to support the staff and these guys as they're bringing the word the next couple of weeks. And um, if you follow me on Facebook, we'll probably put some pictures out there. That's not just so that I can you know, say, hey, look at me. Uh, we're out traveling some cool places, but our, our vacations are always about learning. I know that that sounds boring. It's certainly not going to be the Dominican Republic that we're at, but we'll put pictures up of the places that we're seeing and that we're learning, so you're welcome to take a look at those. We ask you for your prayers. We'll be praying for you. I can't wait to get home. I love going away, but I'm already looking forward to coming home. All right, that said, let's sing. And uh, God bless you guys.